This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, July 15th. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. In the midst of the president's controversial and confrontation-filled European visit, more evidence that top Russian spies worked to undermine Hillary Clinton in the 2016 presidential campaign. Plus, new warnings from within his own cabinet that America's digital infrastructure is now under attack by Russia. The president tried to lower expectations for his Monday one-on-one -on -one summit with Vladimir Putin in an interview with CBS Evening News anchor Jeff Glor. I go in with very low expectations. I think that uh, getting along with Russia is a good thing, but it's possible we won't. In Brussels, the president hounded NATO partners to increase their own defense spending, leaving them flabbergasted, as one European diplomat told us. Publicly, the president attempted a show of unity, but it was obvious the U.S. is not seeing eye to eye with its closest allies. In London, President Trump sharply criticized Prime Minister Theresa May in a British newspaper over her Brexit negotiations. Just as the president arrived for tea with the Queen, back home, special counsel Robert Mueller delivered a surprise charging 12 Russian military intelligence officials with hacking into Democratic Party targets in 2016. Remember then-candidate Trump's challenge about Hillary Clinton's email server? Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. And it now appears that Russia was listening because on that very same day, Russian officials named in the indictment began hacking into Clinton's server. Mueller's move sets the stage for a potential confrontation between Mr. Trump and Putin. But many fear the president won't be tough enough on the issue of Russian meddling in U.S. elections. I will absolutely bring that up. I don't think you'll have any, uh, gee, I did it, I did it, you got me. There won't be a Perry Mason here, I don't think. CBS This Morning co-host Nora O'Donnell is heading up the network's coverage of the Helsinki summit. She'll have a preview. We'll speak with two leading Republicans who've been investigating the Russian meddling, Senator John Cornyn of Texas and South Carolina Congressman Trey Gowdy. New York Congressman Joe Crowley lost his primary in a stunning upset to a political novice last month. He'll join us to talk about the future of the Democratic Party. Plus, we'll have analysis on Russia and all the political news in Washington just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. President Trump's heading next to Helsinki, Finland for tomorrow's meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Yesterday, he spent some time with CBS Evening News anchor Jeff Glore at the president's golf resort in Turnbury, Scotland. I saw the conversation you had with uh, Jan Stoltenberg, which is very direct conversation. A as you approach the meetings with Vladimir Putin coming up, do you expect a similar tone? I don't expect anything. I frankly don't expect. I go in with very low expectations. I think that uh, getting along with Russia is a good thing. But it's possible we won't. I think we're greatly hampered by this whole witch hunt that's going on in the United States, the Russian witch hunt, the, uh, the rigged situation. I watched some of the testimony, even though I'm in Europe, of uh, Strzok, and I thought it was a disgrace to our country. I thought it was an absolute disgrace where he wants to do things against me before I was even, I guess, before I was even the candidate. It was a disgrace. And then he lied about it. And, he, you know, talking about shutting it down and we, we. And he says, oh, I meant the American people all of a sudden. You know, he came up with excuses, I guess, given to a lawyer. But 
everybody laughed at it. He was a disgrace to our country. He was a disgrace to the FBI. So when I look at things like that, and he led that investigation, or whatever you call it, uh, I would say that, yeah, I think it hurts our relationship with Russia. I actually think it hurts our relationship with a lot of countries. I think it's a disgrace what's going on. And then you look how, you know, partisan it is. You look at what's going on where... Uh, and they know, they know that there's no way he can get away from those horrible texts that he wrote. So the other side knows, but it's a very partisan thing. The Russians who were indicted, yeah. would you ask Putin to, to send them here? Well, I might. I hadn't thought of that, but I certainly I'll be asking about it. But again, this was during the Obama administration. They were doing whatever it was during the Obama administration. And I heard that they were trying, or people were trying to hack into the RNC, too, the Republican National Committee. But we had much better defenses. I've been told that by a number of people. We had much better defenses, so they couldn't. I think the DNC should be ashamed of themselves for allowing themselves to be hacked. They had bad defenses, and they were able to be hacked. But I heard they were trying to hack the Republicans, too. But and this may be wrong, but they had much stronger defenses. Who's your biggest competitor, your biggest foe globally right now? Well, I think we have a lot of foes. I think the European Union is a foe, what they do to us in trade. Now, you wouldn't think of the European Union, but they're a foe. Uh, Russia's a foe in certain respects. Uh, China's a foe uh, economically, certainly. Uh, they're a foe. But that doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean anything. It means that they're competitors. They want to do well, and we want to do well. And we're starting to do well. You see what's going on. We have the best employment numbers probably that we've ever had. Black unemployment is the lowest level in history. Hispanic unemployment, the lowest level in history, Jeff. Uh, women unemployment, lowest in 66 years. Uh, our numbers are great. Our GDP numbers are far greater than what they thought. A lot of people might be surprised to hear you list the EU as a foe before China and Russia. No, I, I look at them all. Look, uh, EU is very difficult. I, I want to tell you, maybe the thing that's most difficult, don't forget, both my parents were born in EU sectors, okay? I mean, my mother was Scotland, my father was Germany, and, uh, you know, I love those countries. I respect the leaders of those countries. but. In a trade sense, they've really taken advantage of us. And many of those countries are in NATO, and they weren't paying their bills. And, you know, I, as an example, have a big problem with Germany, because Germany made a pipeline deal with Russia, where they're going to be paying Russia billions and billions of dollars a year for energy. And I say, that's not good. That's not fair. You're supposed to be fighting for someone, and then that someone gives billions of dollars to the one that you're you know, guarding against, I think it's ridiculous. So I let that be known also this time. And i tell you what, there's a lot of anger at the fact that Germany is paying Russia billions of dollars. There's a lot of anger. I also think it's a very bad thing for Germany because it's like, uh, what are they, waving a white flag? We'll have more of Jeff's interview with President Trump in Scotland airing tomorrow on CBS This Morning and later on the CBS Evening News as well as our digital network, CBSN. We want to go now to Helsinki and CBS This Morning co-host Nora O'Donnell, who is heading up the network's coverage of President Trump's meeting with Vladimir Putin. Nora, in this interview and really throughout the week, the signals that the president has been sending seem very much at odds with his own national security team. You're exactly right, Margaret. This is a historic summit, and you hear the president's top national security advisors urging publicly and privately a more hawkish tone towards Russia. And yet, President Trump continues his solicitousness towards President Putin, even once in the past couple of days, saying that perhaps someday he could be a friend. When we've learned some interesting details about this meeting, I spoke with a top advisor to the president just this morning who said that one-on-one -on -one meeting with President Putin is scheduled to last about just about half an hour. It could even be longer than that. And President Putin has met with three previous U.S. presidents. Never before has there been a private meeting of this kind before. So this would be unprecedented. And we know so many of the president's advisors admit they don't really know what happens uh, when the president gets in the room because he decides his own agenda. But what are the expectations on what they're actually going to talk about? 
Well, the president told our own Jeff Glore that he has low expectations, but that there might be some surprises. It's funny to hear him say that because there are incredibly high expectations by everyone else in the world just about what they're going to agree to in those private conversations. We know that President Putin has a lot on his agenda that he wants accomplished and that he wants from the United States. So after that meeting that they'll have together, there'll then be sort of an expanded meeting that will include their top advisors. President Trump will be joined by his secretary of state. He'll be joined by his chief of staff, John Kelly, as well as his national security advisor. Then they may get into more specific substances. And then I think, Margaret, the only way for us to find out what was discussed in those meetings will be a press conference. And the U.S. has now confirmed this morning that there will be a joint press conference between President Trump and President Putin. If you look at what President Trump did after Singapore, it was lasted more than an hour. Can you imagine such a long conference, uh, press conference between these two leaders and what they will say about the state of their relationship, about what Russia has done in the past to our elections, what they're doing now in terms of trying to attack America's democracy and our cyber infrastructure. So I think that's uh, what we're all looking forward to is, is what exactly comes out of this meeting, whether it's a spectacle or substance. Nora, thank you. We want to go now to Greenville, South Carolina, and Trey Gowdy, chairman of the House Oversight Committee. That's one of the committees investigating Russian meddling in the 2016 uh, election. Congressman, you just heard President Trump once again refer to the Russia probe as a witch hunt, and he specifically referred to the hearing that you chaired this past week uh, with FBI agent Peter Strzok as proof of his claim. Do you agree with the president's assertions uh, and... They do seem aimed here at discrediting the Mueller probe. Um, I don't think it's a witch hunt. I've never thought it was a witch hunt. We now have two series of indictments against Russians, one for the social media, the other for the unlawful intrusions. Russia attacked this country in 2016. That's the number one thing we've asked Mueller to look at. What did Russia do? The second part, which unfortunately is where the hyper focus is, is with whom, if anyone, did they do it? Margaret, no Americans have been indicted with respect to conspiring to impact the 2016 elections. My focus is on the first thing. What did Russia do? And that's not a witch hunt. That's an attack on our country. So you're right, no Americans were charged, but 12 Russian military intelligence officers were for attacking the DNC and other Democratic organizations, going after Hillary Clinton's uh, emails, uh, and also attempting to break into state election boards. So how should Americans understand this? That this is an attack on all of us. Our elections are just that, Margaret. They're our elections. And Republicans and Democrats are free to fight among and with themselves. But that fight ends at the border. And, and I would ask the president to, to, to give some serious consideration. Your first request of Vladimir Putin needs to be, tell us which airport we can pick up the 25 Russians that tried to interfere with the fundamentals of our democracy. If you really claim you had nothing to do with it, then you should be as shocked as we were that your military was being used to impact our election. Tell us where you're going to extradite those folks because an American grand jury indicted them for undermining our democracy. You have now heard uh, over 20 hours of testimony from Peter Strzok, who was named by the president there. Uh, you also met with Lisa Page, uh, a lawyer uh, at the FBI involved uh, with this um, Friday. I think you're meeting with her again tomorrow. In your investigations, have you seen any evidence of an anti-Trump bias at the FBI? Sure. Uh, an anti-Trump bias? Absolutely. You just mentioned two of them, Strzok and, and Page. I mean, Strzok, Strzok was, was biased against Trump before he began investigating him. Of course, on August the 6th, he, he promised to stop his candidacy. On the 15th, he talked about an insurance policy. I think the most damning piece of evidence, Margaret, with respect to bias, is the day Bob Mueller was announced... Special Agent Peter Strzok wasn't talking about indictments like you and I just were. He wasn't talking about defending the country like you and I are. He's talking about impeaching the president. That is an unprecedented level of bias. Now, how pervasive it was beyond those two, I think there are four or five other unidentified bureau and department agents. 
uh, and employees who also had bias, but there are 13,000 FBI agents and 99.9% of them are doing exactly what you would want them to do and exactly the way you would want them to do it. Well, that's a point here, though, that seems to be getting lost, or at least when the president is speaking, he's conflating these specific individuals, the number you put four or five, with the entire intelligence organization that is the FBI. And there is some concern that that is corrosive to our democracy. Do you fear that your hearing is being used in that way? Well, our, our private hearing was much more constructive than the public hearing. I mean, public hearings are a circus, Margaret. I mean, that's why I don't like to do them. I don't do many of them. I mean, it's a freak show. I mean, the private interviews are much more constructive. But I would also say this. I mean, put yourself in President Trump's shoes for just a second. Jim Comey thought that impeachment was too good for you. John Brennan says you should be in the dustpin of history. Those are not insignificant people. One headed the FBI, the other headed the CIA when you were under investigation. The lead FBI agent said that you would be destabilizing for the country and promised to stop your candidacy. I mean, Margaret, if you were being investigated by people who had that level of bias and animus against you, I think you would be concerned as well. What I would tell the president is no American has been indicted for for conspiring to hack the DNC. But Russia did attack us. So focus on the first prong of that Mueller jurisdiction. Let the second prong play out. But but so far, the with whom, if anyone, did they do it? We've, we've got a big zero with respect to Americans. But to play devil's advocate here, there were other Republicans who were questioning the president as a candidate and, and comments he made and whether that made him fit for office. So, I mean, you're not trying to argue that only Trump supporters should be involved with this investigation. No, and thank God uh, Republican candidates for president um, aren't in charge of counterintelligence investigations. I, I mean, put politicians in one heap. I mean, thank God we don't put them in charge of major investigations. Peter Strzok was supposed to be a counterintelligence expert. He was put in charge of the probe. And he's going from talking about stopping him to he hopes he resigns to impeachment. Uh, Margaret, keep in mind, his main concern when he was trying to deliberate on whether or not to be part of Mueller's probe is that it might not lead to impeachment. I mean, if you are a counterintelligence expert, this is a chance of a lifetime to fight for your country against Russia. And you're concerned that it might not lead to impeachment. I mean, I mean, no American would want Peter Strzok investigated them if, if, he, if, if he had that amount of animus against them. Are you, None of us would. Are you going to sign on to this effort to impeach Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein that House Republicans are talking about putting forward this week? No. For what? Impeaching for what? No. Inappropriate. I, I've had my differences with Rod Rosenstein. Um, I... I Talk to him quite often, privately, which, again, is a lot more constructive than the public hearings we have. Um, he's a Trump appointee. So is Jeff Sessions. So is Chris Ray. If President Trump is dissatisfied with Rod Rosenstein, he can fire him with a tweet. Um, but, <laughs> but, but to impeach someone, um, I, I, I mean, no, I, I would not be. I'm not convinced there is a movement. I read about it in Politico, and, and, and sometimes their right. sources are better than mine. But... But, but I'm not part of that. Very quickly, are you going to investigate who the congressional candidate was who was in contact with the conspirators? This is named uh, in the indictment. I would love to know who that was. So I hope you'll investigate it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to find out who it is. Now, this is an unindicted. I mean, that's important. Uh, whatever this person did didn't rise to the level of criminality. But, but I am incredibly disappointed that any member of Congress would reach out to WikiLeaks or Julian Assange or, Lucifer or Guccifer or Lucifer uh, <laughs> and try to get dirt on, on, on a Democrat. I, that is very disappointing. I don't know who it is, but I'd love it if you or I, one, found out who it was. All right. Well, when you find out, get back to us, Congressman. Thank you very you much for, the, yes, for your time. We'll be back in one minute with a lot more Face the Nation, including conversation with the number two in the Senate, John Cornyn. Don't go away. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. 
The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. We're back with Texas Republican Senator John Cornyn. He is the assistant majority leader in the Senate. He joins us from Austin this morning. Senator, good to have you on the show. Let's get straight to the news on Russia because you do, uh, you have been part of this Senate investigation into Russian election meddling. In the wake of Robert Mueller's indictment of these 12 Russians, do you view this as an act of war, given that these were military intelligence officers, and has Russia paid a price? Well, Russia has long been uh, engaged in trying to undermine confidence in our democracy. It's just that they've, their game has now risen to the point where they actually had, a, had an impact. Obviously, we wouldn't be talking about this if, um, if they didn't have an impact. And so we better wake up because this is a warning shot for our next elections, and we better be, be ready. On the other hand, I grieve with my friend Trey Gowdy, and uh, Jonathan Turley, who wrote a piece recently, who said this didn't have an impact in, the, in terms of the outcome of the election. It would be like spitting into a raging ocean. And, uh, but this is serious, and I agree that uh, Russians did meddle in our elections, and we better be prepared for the next time. But again, there's no indication that it had an outcome, had to change the outcome of the election. Do you think the president is taking this seriously enough? I think the president is doing what you said earlier, which is conflating uh, the meddling investigation with the investigation into potential collusion, for which there's been no evidence uh, revealed so far. And I think uh, it's personal to him because he feels like uh, he is uh, he is under attack, and of course uh, he is. The politics of this are very tempting to our friends across the aisle, but I think he's conflating those two as are a number of other people, and we need to keep those separate. Yes, the Russians did meddle. Number two, did any American involve, collude with them? In, uh, and so far, there's no evidence. So far, no evidence, but that investigation is ongoing. Uh, tomorrow, President Trump will be meeting with Russian leader Vladimir Putin. Do you think, given these indictments, that this is a good idea for them to be one-on-one -on -one for at least 30 if not, minutes, if not a full hour? I think it's always helpful when leaders of nations talk to one another. Uh, to me, it would be uh, counterproductive just to, to uh, ignore that or to avoid that possibility. On the other hand, I think the president should be clear-eyed about who he's dealing with. Putin is an autocrat. He's a thug. He does not respect the rule of law. Obviously, he doesn't respect our democracy and wants to undermine it at every, every chance he gets. But on the other hand, there are commonalities here in terms of our desire to fight Islamic extremism around the world. They have a problem in Russia itself, in the Chechnya area, and of course, uh, but we're adversaries clearly in places like Syria, in terms of their alliance with Iran, the number one state sponsor of international terrorism. So the president needs to be, and I think he is clear-eyed about who he's dealing with, um, but there are some areas where I think uh, constructive conversations can occur. The director of national intelligence said warning lights are flashing right now. Our digital infrastructure is under attack, and he named Russia as one of those attackers. What's being done to protect Sir, our elections? He, he's right. He's right. Well, the, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, on which I sit, has released a preliminary report. We're, we will release a final report, but we're working with state election um, officials and trying to make sure that people are better prepared. But if there's one area where I worry about the most, it's that our, our lack of 
national, all of government response to the cyber threat. This is, uh, to me, an area that uh, is going to continue to be exploited by our adversaries, whether it's the Chinese for economic reasons or mm -hmm. to steal uh, national security uh, technology or the Russians uh, to undermine our elections. Senator, more to talk to you about, uh, particularly the president's pick for the Supreme Court. So if you can hold on, we're going to get back to you just after this break in a moment. We'll have all the news from Helsinki starting early tomorrow on CBS This Morning. Then on Wednesday, CBS Evening News anchor Jeff Glor will sit down at the White House with President Trump for a post-summit interview. As for Face the Nation, we'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back with a lot more Face the Nation, so stay with us. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We want to continue our conversation now with Texas Republican Senator John Cornyn. Uh, Senator, uh, you whip and count votes for the majority. If Republicans vote as a block, uh, Democrats really don't have a way to stop the president from getting his nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, confirmed. Uh, can you deliver your party? Well, Neil Gorsuch got 54 votes when he was confirmed, and I think Brett Kavanaugh brings a similar academic and experience background and, and judicial philosophy that I think most people on my side of the aisle will find uh, acceptable. But I know everybody feels serious about uh, doing their job, doing their due diligence. As you know, the Constitution requires the Senate to provide advice and consent. And I know a number of senators who don't yet know him are meeting him and satisfying themselves. But I think um, we saw three Democrats vote with all the Republicans for Neil Gorsuch, and I think we'll see something in that range for uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Three, three Democrats you're putting money on. Well, I think it'd be hard to explain why did you vote to confirm Gorsuch and you vote against Kavanaugh. Uh, I'd, it'd be, uh, I'd be interested in what the distinction would be in their mind that would cause a different outcome. So, but we'll find out. Democrats, one of the questions they have uh, for Judge Kavanaugh when he goes before the committee is uh, whether he would recuse himself, his thoughts on recusal, particularly if the Mueller probe ever were to reach the high court. How are you telling him to navigate these questions? Well, um, Brett Kavanaugh is an experienced judge. He's been on the D.C. Circuit Court for 12 years, and he is one of one of the uh, finest lawyers uh, our nation has to has to offer. So I have confidence he would make that decision appropriately if it were ever presented. But to me, this is an indication of how much our friends across the aisle are stretching uh, the hypothetical that if a case ever became got in front of the Supreme Court and he were there, would he recuse? I'm confident he will follow the ethical guidance uh, of the, the rules of judicial conduct and would handle that appropriately. But I think it's really... Uh, a sign of desperation. Well, we will be watching those hearings, sir. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. We turn now to Victoria Newland, former Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs. She is now at the Center for New American Security. And Tom Donilon served as National Security Advisor to President Obama. They're both here with us now. This, there's so much to unpack from what we heard from uh, President Trump in his interview with my colleague, Jeff Glor. The very first question, the uh, first idea of a foe of the United States, the European Union, is what he said. What does rhetoric like that do? 
Margaret, I think it's very dangerous, whether it's the rhetoric against the European Union or the rhetoric against NATO. The president has spent more time in the last week attacking our democratic family than preparing for the real foes, uh, President Putin, who he identified in his own national security strategy as a main threat to the United States. And so we're essentially beating the family on the front lawn of the House and letting our adversary enjoy that over the fence. So it's quite worrying. Tom, what do you make of this? Because some would just say this is, you know, this is sound and fury signifying nothing. This is Trump being Trump. And the policy is, as Ambassador Bolton would say, very clear and hardline against Russia. Well, it may be that. It may be clear to his advisors. And I think there is a significant split, frankly, between the president and his advisors on the approach to Russia. No president has ever conducted himself, I think, Tori, in the way that President Trump has in Europe over the last week with this relentless attack on allies, this embrace of Putin, really undermining the United States with the publics of Europe as well. Uh, the European Union, NATO, these have been foundational partners for the United States uh, for the last half century or more. Uh, and the attacks on them are really corrosive, uh, I think, and really undermine the sense of reliability that I think Europeans have uh, in the United States. I think the appropriate thing would have been at NATO and in Europe would have been to develop a unified approach to Russia uh, and point to the positive things that we have in NATO. Obviously, that Antonio uh, uh, was ambassador in NATO, right. uh, the positive things that have been done, uh, but to have a unified approach to NATO. Instead, essentially what's going on here, I fear, is really a, uh, advancing Russian strategic goals, yes. which have been for 70 years to divide Europe from the United States, undermine the Western democracies, and essentially whether uh, uh, purposefully or by... Accident, the president's kind of fallen into advancing those advancing those goals. Ambassador Newland, I should have pointed out you were the ambassador to NATO, of course. Um, you were in the Obama administration at the time of the hacking. You've served Republicans, you've served Democrats as a career diplomat. Uh, but you were there when these GRU military officers attacked our democracy. And at the time, you came up with a list of ways to punish Russia. Do you think that Russia and Putin have paid a price for what they did to the U.S.? Uh, I don't think the price has been anywhere near sufficient. But what I worry about more than going backwards to 2016 is whether we are prepared for what they're going to do in 2018, 2020. The president spent quite a bit of time talking about President Obama's watch. President Obama did conduct a full investigation and hand that to President Trump. My concern now is we've had a year and a half where the U.S. government, directed by President Trump, should have been leading its own investigation of what Russians, Chinese, other adversaries of the United States can do to undermine our democracy and building up our resistance, our deterrence uh, to that. And instead, this has all been about going backwards. We need to go forwards and make sure it never happens again, including being extremely firm with President Putin tomorrow about real consequences for Russia in places that matter to them, like their economy, where Russia is not doing very well, if in fact this continues in the United States. And it has been continuing, as you uh, illustrated with the um, quote from DNI Coates. Yeah, and he said something further, right? In addition to that, he said that we're one keystroke away from having the same kind of thing happen in 2018 and 2020 as happened in 2016. There hasn't been anywhere near the all-of-government response that's required to this. We had the United States government come out with an extraordinary set of indictments this week, right, where the United States said it was prepared to prove beyond a reasonable doubt with public evidence to a jury that President Putin is lying about his denials with respect to the election uh, interference and that we have absolute proof of this. And yet the response from the White House is a political response as opposed, as Tori is pointing out, I think exactly correctly, as opposed to an all-the-government response about what this government and this nation is going to do to defend itself. The president saying in tweets again in the past 24 hours, look, this happened on President Obama's watch and he didn't do enough. Blame him. What is your response? I know you weren't in the administration at the time of the hacking, but... Do you agree with Toria? The price hasn't been sufficient. The president, he's the president of the United States today. The, he's pitting himself against a unified view of the intelligence and law enforcement services in the United States. And his and own cabinet. His own cabinet. Exactly right, Toria. And, uh, and you know, the question is, what is the United States going to do today to respond and to protect the nation? That's where this needs to be. Not this kind of political, uh, kind of, kind of political issues or blaming um, it's what is the United States going to do today? Now, President Obama did a number of things, including putting sanctions and other things on, mm -hmm. uh, on Russia. I would have to say, though, that there's been um, kind of an averting of the eyes, kind of turning away from the uh, conduct of the Russians by President Trump. I don't think, at least by public reports, Margaret, there's been a single cabinet meeting 
on this problem. I don't think there's been a single National Security Council meeting on this thing. The last thing, one thing I wanted to say, and it's, I don't know Tori, you agree with me because you were alluding to it, it's not just the interference, the list of things, to, which is why this meeting shouldn't happen tomorrow, the list of things, Margaret, Crimea, mm-hmm. Ukraine, the shoot-down of MH17 killing 298 people, the use of nerve agents in the United Kingdom, aiding and abetting war crimes in Syria, the list of actively hostile actions by the Russians since Putin's return to office is extreme, and we don't really have had any response from the president on this. This is really his responsibility now. But that's exactly why the meeting should happen, so the president can take Putin on on all of these issues and make clear that if they don't come back into civilized behavior with the international community, that there will be more consequences, economic sanctions, more freezing out. And instead, um, this is now set up to be a love fest. Yeah, the meetings we'll, that you... Yeah. We will, we're going to have to yeah, leave it yeah. there, but uh, we'll all tune in for that joint press conference to hear about yeah. what was discussed in this meeting. We're going to be right back to talk more about the politics of the Democratic Party. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading. And so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels... And photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com slash save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com slash save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com slash save. We want to take a closer look now, politics at home and the Democrats. New York Congressman Joe Crowley lost his primary race in a stunning upset to a political newcomer last month. He is here with us today to talk about it. Congressman, it's good to have you on the show. Thank you, Mark. Great to be with you. You were the first House Democrat to lose a primary in 2018. It can't be good to hear that. (laughs) But can you say, do you think your district was an anomaly or is there a bigger message to Democrats? I think there are a number of factors that went into this loss. And first and foremost, let me say it's been a great honor, uh, one of the greatest honors of my life to serve the people of the 14th Congressional District. Um, and, and this is on me. Um, this loss uh, is on me. I had uh, wonderful volunteers, hundreds of them, and a, and a great campaign effort. Uh, and just sometimes you come up short. I do think, and I want to congratulate uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on this uh, effective win. Uh, she, her campaign was a very effective campaign, and she deserves this win. Um, but I think there were a number of factors. I think the year of the woman, I think that's a, a fact that's played into this. And I, and I like that for November. I think that's really good for us as a party. I think the timing of the primary itself, not being the normal September back into June, and really was an isolated primary in many respects. Um, but as I said before, I don't want to take anything away from, from her win. This was a big win for her and for uh, the future of our country as well. And, uh, and you know, this, the loss, uh, I, I have to take the responsibility for that. I did not uh, do as I preach. You know, I talk about all politics being local. I, I didn't remind folks of my accomplishments. I didn't talk about what I had done to uh, help people in my district, um, how I helped provide the votes uh, to overturn uh, gay marriage and to, to, to have, have gay marriage in New York State, uh, that we went from two to five in the Senate in New York State to seven to zero. That was something that I worked with Governor Cuomo on making happen. I didn't talk about uh, helping people in my district uh, and, and, and reminding people where I stood. I just took that for granted, I think. You talk about some of the bigger sort of themes or takeaways from this, but just about 12 percent of registered Democrats turned out to vote in this primary. That's pretty low. I think so it goes, are we uh, overreading it? Well, I think it goes back to, again, the timing of the primary itself. Um, I think some people may have taken for granted that I've been around for a while and, you know, decided they'll get me in November, so to speak. But, uh, um, you know, I, I don't think we can really go back and relitigate that aspect of it. Uh, we all play by the same rules. And uh, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez and I played by the same rules. Uh, I do think that the turnout was low. Uh, I think it's more reflective, again, of some of the arcane, uh, nat- some of the arcane mm-hmm. nature of New York State election law itself that may be contributing to this factor. Um- 
the winner here, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, as you said, 28 years old, political newcomer here. She's accused the Democratic Party writ large of not taking the interest of people of color seriously, not paying much attention to working class communities. Do you think there's fair criticism in that? I think it's always open to criticism in terms of policy. I think what we, we need to really steer away from is character assassination. And I, I think it's un, un, what we really need to do is take that energy that's been focused in terms of internal uh, bouts and focus that on the Republicans and win seats that Republicans hold today if we really want to make a difference. I think the Democratic Caucus is a big tent party. It's reflective. Just look at our party. Take a picture of our, the people who represent the Democrats in the House and Republicans in the House. It's night and day, literally, uh, in terms of the number of minorities that are represented within the Democratic Caucus. Uh, it's there. Uh, and so I do think we need to focus now on winning seats in November and ensuring that Democrats are in control for the sake of our country, quite frankly. I think the greatest threat to us is, is this president in the White House. If Democrats do take control, should Nancy Pelosi stay as leader? I think that Nancy, when history looks back on Nancy Pelosi, they will look at one of the smartest and hardest working uh, speakers and leaders in the history of our country. She's an, your loss made some Democrats question. Well, look, yes. you know, I, I do think that that'll be up to the, the new Congress to decide who the next uh, leader or speaker, I hope, uh, will be. Uh, if we win the House back, Nancy will have a very strong case for holding on to the speakership. If, if not, there may be other issues that come to the fore at that point. But it's up to the next uh, Congress, Democratic caucus, to decide that fate. Congressman, it's good to have you on the thank, show. Thank you. Can I just say one thing? Uh, I love this country. I love it so much and I'm so proud to have represented my constituents. But I am very, very worried about the direction of this country. And uh, I have a lot to be grateful for. It's given me a tremendous uh, experience in life. But we need to win back the House to bring, uh, to, to recognize this country once again. And I can imagine you'll be working on that uh, as we go towards be. the races in November. We'll be back in just a moment with our panel. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love. Or visit www.pacificlife.com. It's time now for some political analysis. Jerry Seib is the executive Washington editor at the Wall Street Journal. Rachel Bade covers Congress for Politico, who's also a CNN political analyst. Ben Dominich is the founder and publisher of The Federalist, and David Nakamura covers the White House for The Washington Post. Rachel, I want to start with you because when we were speaking with Congressman Gowdy, he mentioned some of your reporting at Politico. I asked him about whether he'd sign on to impeach Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. He said, for what? Really telling answer right there, and I think it really highlights uh, this quiet divide we're seeing going on right now between Republicans on the Hill, between Republicans like Gowdy, who want the Russia investigation to continue. Uh, yes, they're concerned about some bias with a couple of FBI agents, but overall, they want to hold Russia accountable uh, for election interference. And then the Trump allies on Capitol Hill that are listening to the president, they see this as a witch hunt, uh, and they want it to go away. And so for instance, on Friday, right when Rod Rosenstein was up announcing, you know, these 12 indictments of Russians, just a few minutes before conservative Mark Meadows, who leads the House Freedom Caucus, actually had a red folder in his hand on the House floor that would basically impeach Rosenstein. And he's trying to get support for that. And they want this investigation to go away. And so you're seeing different Republicans clash. I think that Gowdy is a bellwether uh, for a lot of Republicans because he is very close with leadership. So I would listen to what he says in terms of whether or not this would go through, and it seems unlikely. Ben, I'm going to pigeonhole you as representative of all Republicans here oh, in some way. <laughs> I'm not but, even no, a no, I know. No, no, no. Um, but 
but but no, in your yeah. work and your research. But sure. picking up on what Rachel's saying, this divide from within, why, well, in the I, efforts to muddy the water. I do think that there. I do think that there is a divide. I think the divide that Rachel is talking about is is accurate. Uh, you know, part of the issue here is is kind of the change that's happened in the nature of these indictments. When we originally had these indictments uh, come out in February, they were primarily targeted at social media activity, memes, ads, and fake news that Russian uh, activity was was promoting here. Now you're getting something that's more serious, which is actual activity on the part of Russians to uh, to fish into uh, DNC uh, servers to try to get uh, emails uh, out of the various people involved uh, involved there. And the implication of these latest uh, indictments is that, that the next step for this Mueller investigation is going to be looking at some of the issues that Victoria Newland was talking about earlier, concerns about the state-level actions of, of Russians that could have targeted secretaries of state and voting processes. That, I think, needs to be the utmost concern at this point. We can relitigate what happened in 2016 and how much it actually mattered, but what really matters going forward for the confidence of the American people is confidence in the upcoming midterm elections and what that looks like. Republicans, I think, would be much wiser to be engaged on that point as opposed to fighting these kind of uh, internally uh, divisive wars. Jerry, when it comes to the president's meeting with Vladimir Putin, he seems to be saying, this is in the past. Now it's about my relationship with Vladimir Putin. Why does he need to bring up this meddling? Well, I, I think, you know, it's perfectly clear from what Senator Cornyn said, for example. Republicans are saying, look, this is an attack on the United States. It needs to be addressed as such. And I think that the reason to have a meeting is so that you can bring that sort of thing up. I think, you know, one of the interesting things about the indictment was it actually may have been beneficial for the president that it came out before the meeting because it means that he has a reason to raise this with Vladimir Putin. I think it would have been much worse for the president if he had had this meeting and said some uh, conciliatory things about how I don't think the, the Russians really did this, and then the indictment had come out later. That would have looked terrible. It would look as if he has been sandbagged. As it is now, he has no recourse except to raise it, and Vladimir Putin knows that it's going to be raised. I think it'll be fascinating, as you suggested earlier, what's this going to be like at a press conference tomorrow where they're both standing up side by side, and this is going to be topic A on the list. I don't know how that's going to go. But I, I don't think it's bad for the president this is, that this is out there because it's clear he has to raise it. But, you know, Jerry, Jerry's right. He has to raise it. He raised it last year in his meeting, first meeting with Putin at the G20, but then said, look, he denied it. What can I do? I had to move on. That, that he's already said that leading up to this meeting that that... No Perry Mason yeah, moment. No Perry Mason moment. Uh, you know, looking at Jeff Glor's interview with the president you played earlier, in one paragraph, um, the president used the word disgrace six times in relation to this investigation uh, and Peter Strzok's testimony last week. Uh, two times he used witch hunt, once rigged and one partisan. That's, in, that's nine different uh, times uh, using words like that in one paragraph to talk about this. This does not seem like a president who's really going there to really hold... Uh, Putin accountable. And if you look, you know, Trump says, I want to get in a room with these, these leaders, even if they're, they're geopolitical foes or rivals or enemies like Kim Jong-un. But with Kim Jong-un, he had a real strong strategy of pressure, maximum pressure, you know, uh, rallying world allies, rallying other countries. Here he went to NATO and, and had this disruptive moment, um, seemed to divide NATO right before this meeting. It's very different. We don't even know what his real agenda is with Putin. And I think it's interesting that you know, one of the things the critics keep pointing out is that when the president talks about this, what's missing is some statement of outrage about what the Russians did. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, in the, in the interview, he says it's the Democrats' fault because they didn't have adequate def uh, computer defenses up. And it happened on Obama's watch. I think what people are looking for in many cases here is some statement of, of outrage from the president of the United States, not about what happened to him, but what happened to the country. And that is kind of a stand-in for the fact that these indictments even as significant as they are, are ultimately toothless. I mean, Jeff Glor obviously asked him about whether he would bring up the possibility of, of extraditing uh, the individuals named. I'm sorry, but that just seems very fanciful to me. We have no extradition relationship with Russia. And so that, in a, essentially, the rhetoric is a stand-in for doing something that actually matters. David, this complaint at NATO about paying more for mm -hmm. your own defense is something we've heard president after president after president. With President Trump, mm -hmm. what is it that Americans should know is different here? Why is it a problem when he says it the way he says it? Well, look, the president has been very critical of the allies on trade, on immigration, and now on, on, and on this defense spending. What is interesting with Trump, though, is that he tends to sort of escalate some sort of problem where there, a problem may exist, whether it's North Korea's nuclear weapons or this issue of collective defense spending, um, to a higher level, uh, and then tries to sort of swoop in at the last minute uh, and sort of make a deal or create some sort of pressure 
uh, or at, take some action or dr- dramatic step and look like he solved some sort of problem. And he mm-hmm. seems to have employed this again here, as he did with the Singapore summit with Kim Jong-un, where we don't know that he's made that much of a difference, but he sort of says at the end, uh, you know, I was threatening to, to leave, I was threatening NATO, and now they're coming around, they're going to spend more, even though uh, these nations did promise ahead of time, even before he took office, to start spending more. Rachel, if, you're, if your memory is long enough and you can recall what happened on Monday, <laughs> we did get a Supreme Court nominee. Yes, yeah. uh, and you heard Senator Cornyn say he thinks he can get uh, flip three Democrats. Um, right. And actually, one thing that's particularly interesting, Cornyn apparently cornered um, uh, the minority leader, Chuck Schumer, in the Senate gym the other day when he was on an exercise bike and was <laughs> like, good luck getting out of this one. Look, Republicans, they actually, uh, they're going to get a victory here. And not just because they're seeming united behind their their um, their appointee, but also because uh, Democrats are not united on this. There are about half a dozen Democrats from uh, dist- or states that Trump carried in the 2016 election that are on the ballot this fall, and they see potentially Potentially, the politics are better for them to ignore Schumer and to potentially vote for this uh, nominee. I think uh, one person to watch, for instance, is Joe Manchin, who is from West Virginia. It's a state that Trump carried by 40 points. Um, And earlier this week, one of my colleagues caught up with him in the hall and said to him, can Schumer twist your arm uh, to get you to vote against uh, this nominee? And he said, quote, I'll be 71 years old in August. Um, you're going to whip me, being Schumer, kiss my you-know-what. So <laughs> it's going to be an issue for Schumer. Well, plus, <laughs> I mean, Democrats may be better off letting these people vote than, yeah. uh, and, and win the next election. Well, we'll we're, we're going to have to leave it there, um, unfortunately, because we're out of time. We're not out of news. That's it for us today, so thank you for watching. I will see all of you tomorrow morning on CBS this morning as we continue our network coverage of the Helsinki Summit. Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump meeting tomorrow. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. We'll see you next week. Today's guests were South Carolina Congressman Trey Gowdy, Texas Senator John Cornyn, New York Congressman Joseph Crowley, former Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland, and former White House National Security Advisor Tom Donilon. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you- if you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.